Welcome to the, uh, I think, number 15 uh, Human Anxiety podcast. Today we're joined by Mike Sheridan, who is uh, an author and a blogger, uh, and plenty more of which we will get into in a bit. So yeah, thank you, first of all, for joining me, Mike. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Quick background on, I guess, on how, on how we we met. Uh, my uh, housemate, who is, I think, the second ever guest on this podcast, worked with you at um, a company called Experian, and he's basically been quietly following your journey on LinkedIn ah, over the me. last few years. He's been... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he's, he's brought your name up a few times. Oh, all right, cool. And yeah, he, he, he was like, oh, maybe you should get this guy on the podcast. And he kind of explained your transformation from uh, you know, working in experience, the, the, the weight loss, the change in sort of lifestyle and focus on, on you know, health and well-being. So uh, I was like, yeah, this, this guy sounds great. So uh, we uh, had a little chat last week and uh, here we are. I guess where probably the best place to start is I just want to understand how come you made such, uh, well, I don't know if you'd call them drastic, but big changes in your life at the time of a life of your life when you did. So we're talking specifically about the the recent history, yeah, that mm-hmm. you're referring to, yeah. So, um, well, the simple answer is that I was physically um, really quite poorly, and I didn't know it at the time, mm-hmm. and I knew I was pretty tired. I knew I wasn't sleeping very well, um, and my partner told me that I snored a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but 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 more than that, I mean, something inside was telling me that after 35 plus years in commercial sales and IT technology, flat out, that I needed to stop. I needed to slow down. Um, and the specific reason that you are, I guess, looking for is that um, I went to not my doctor, but the local pharmacy where we can all go and get a routine checkup. Um, They check your uh, blood sugar, your cholesterol, and uh, your blood pressure. And in my case, the first two were slap bang in the zone, A-OK, but the blood pressure was off the scale. So, and I mean, the girl that took my blood pressure, she um, she looked pretty shocked. Um, and, and I knew a little bit about what a blood pressure reading should be. But she reminded me that, um, you know, what is normal in a sense, what that looks like. And then she showed me my readings. And I <laughs> I made her do it again. I made her do the test again oh, wow. on, on my other arm because I didn't quite believe it myself. I said, there has to be some sort of mistake, you know, with the uh, equipment which is nothing more than the, you know, the blood pressure monitor that the GP will strap to your upper arm and then press the button. And to cut a long story short, I mean, if, if you're around about between 120 or 130 as the upper number and uh, around about 80, which is the uh, lower number, then you're, you're considered normal. Um, and my, my numbers were in the sort of 180, 190 range as a top number, and 95 plus to 100 in, in the lower number. Um, and that's when she said, you, you need to go to your GP tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no messing about. 
And I, you know, and I said, well, I can't do that because I've got to get on a train at 6 a.m. and go up to Manchester for a business meeting. You know, typical bloke, we, we tend to go to the doctor when we are either breathing, bleeding profusely uh, or have lost a limb or something terrible has happened. And, and usually we don't drag ourselves there, even in those circumstances. It's usually somebody else closest to us that will drag us there. <laughs> I did eventually get to the doctor and they confirmed that, well, yes, I was suffering from what they called critical hypertension. Okay, critical. Um, yeah, so there is a chart that you can all look up. You can Google and it basically zones your blood pressure into uh, stage one hypertension, stage two, and then it goes up the scale into critical. And uh, that's when you're in danger, I was told, of... Um, a heart attack or um, a stroke, right. one, one of the two. And, of course, you know, a lot of it is to do with age um, and just the body not being able to take the, the normal stresses and strains that we, we subject it to, you know. So uh, that, that's when I learned that I needed to sort of uh, take steps to address the issue, you know. So, so you booked the, uh, the the appointment with the doctor, and then what was their next uh, sort of focus for you? So, um, well, multiple things. They they basically launched into a a full uh, series of blood tests um, of twenty uh, four hour monitoring, home monitoring of blood pressure. So you wear a device All right. on your arm. And it will take readings every sort of half an hour or 20 minutes or so, which is quite difficult when you're trying to sleep. <laughs> uh, so so does it do the suction thing? It, 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 yeah, it puts the pressure on the, oh, on right. the apparatus and basically takes a reading in the, in the normal way. Um, and the reason for doing that is because they try to get an average. They, they, it, there's a well-known thing that happens, which is that we, when we all go to our doctor, our blood pressure is, is typically elevated yeah. when they take the readings in the surgery uh, because you might be a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when I started to learn that, you know, what goes on in the head can affect your blood pressure, i.e. the mind and the body are connected. Mm-hmm. And what goes on in our brain, what goes on in our mind, our thought patterns really affect our physical health. Um, so the blood test... Uh, were really to confirm if there was anything else going on. So if you are suffering from, um, you know, renal problems, kidney problems, um, heart problems, then they want to discover if, if um, you know, that is causing high blood pressure, which if, there, if there's damage, you know, to the organs or whatever, then that, that can be a, a cause. Um, and then I had a heart scan at the hospital, which is nothing more than a, ultrasound to check the uh, the blood vessels and so on um but but i knew so but also you get a lecture on listen it's it's a lot to do with lifestyle they think so it's a lot to do with what we're eating it's a lot to do with how much alcohol we're consuming uh, but i knew that my or i felt inside deep inside that my basic issue my basic problem was stress and uh, sort of decided to go on a mission to uh, really step back and, 
you know, take, take the stress out of my life. Um, and uh, I knew I was overweight. So at that time, I was <clears throat> probably two stone or more overweight. And so I'd been wanting to make a change to all of that for some time. And I was putting it off. I was putting it off until it became uh, a problem, you know, until somebody said, no, you can't put this off too much longer, <laughs> frankly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was a sort of an 18-month journey to, to make some real progress. Um, and it was a gradual progress. So I monitored myself that progress, i.e. what was happening to to my blood pressure, my weight, my diet, and everything. And uh, but after about only about a few few months, started to feel better. Once I went down that journey, I was sleeping better. I was less tired. I wasn't so fatigued. But but I think it's symptomatic all of this of the fact that we are leading very stressful lives, or at least those of us that were. <laughs> still working flat out, you know, before the pandemic were. And life was getting ever so busy and uh, the pace of life was, was kind of increasing all the time. At least that was my experience. You know, I, I think um, I, I'm pretty normal in that. You know, everybody, everybody feels the same in some way. And I, yeah, I think it's a, probably across ages as well. I don't know in the past, it might have seemed like once you got to an older age when you have been working for, you know, 30 plus years, you're soon going to be, uh, lose, uh, patience with it all after a while. But from my perspective, a lot of young people also, uh, were at least, or still are in some degree experiencing the unnecessary pace of, uh, life through specifically through social media, I find as well. And, uh, I think connecting is an incredible, awesome tool but we've taken it to the next level um, or we don't really know how to use social media just yet. We're in this grand experiment, which I think is a bit, uh, a bit dangerous. We might look back on in the same way that we look at how I say, you know, how bad smoking was for us, but everyone was just puffing away before because we had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. And you and I spoke briefly about the sort of general generational aspects to, to life yeah, and I think technology was supposed to free us of so many things, but it has made us uh, made life more complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our physiology hasn't changed since we were cavemen and women, yep. and yet we've got godlike technology and uh, medieval institutions that we're still <laughs> wrestling with, aren't we? You know, yeah. I mean, government and yes. you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I really liked it when you when you said that the other day that that stood out to me the medieval institution aspect and I think it's almost semi arrogant of us to think that within the last thirty years we've somehow developed completely out of what was you know the normal for a long time. If you think of technology, it's really accelerated the last thirty forty years, yeah. and so, for some reason we believe that oh we're we're ready to adapt to it immediately. Um, even, you know, desk work, for example, is something as basic as that. Our bodies yeah. didn't spend thousands of years developing for that position every day. So no wonder there's so many problems with our backs and uh, uh, all sorts like that, headaches from screens. So, yeah, I think maybe 
maybe a slower transition would be more beneficial. But the other aspect to this too, whilst we're on this subject, is that one of the, and I think it relates to what was happening to me in the work environment, having that perspective of how things were changing over the last sort of few decades. You know, when I started the workplace, um, and if you wanted to speak to a client, a customer or whatever, you, you had to write them a letter. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's worlds removed from us. I send them a quick message now on uh, you know, Teams or whatever. No, but think about it. So uh, you had to actually sit down and think about how you want, what you wanted to say to that person. You had to write a letter and somebody would type it into a word processor because we had just moved on from typewriters. And then it would be put in the post. And they would receive that letter and they would open it. I mean, of course, you could phone people, right, <laughs> on a hard-line telephone. But, you know, the interesting thing about the telephone then was that if it rang in an office, it was a signal that somebody wanted to speak to you. And you, consequently, if you were on the receiving end, you would pick up the phone and you would talk to them. And there was, there was very little scamming. And there was, you know, people weren't afraid to talk to each other over the telephone, for example. Yeah, well, yeah. And then, you know, move forward a few decades and the human interaction, the human element of doing business was diminished over time very, very drastically. And, you know, Chris and I didn't have a great experience in the, in the last business. He didn't have a great introduction, I don't believe, into corporate sales and the environment we were in. Um, because you had people in sales enablement saying that, as far as they were concerned, in a few years' time, they wouldn't need corporate salespeople. They wouldn't need, com- they wouldn't need commercial account managers. Right. Um, because the whole thing would be driven by, in quotes, the digital economy. So over time, I think part of my frustration was, and this led to the stresses, was that, if you like, my value, my role, my place in the commercial value chain was being diminished over time. Mm. Um, and I think that's true of all of us. There's, you know, the, 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 the human element, the human element of communication interaction is, is sort of disappearing, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And here we are now forced to sit in our homes and yeah, communicate. not allowed to, you know, that it's, uh, but yep. listen, there'll be a bounce back, won't there? And we'll all, we're all craving for that human interaction now, aren't we? Mm, I really but, hope so. Yeah. Sort of a, I kind of, I was discussing this with a friend the other day on a walk, and um, I feel like we're talking about video games actually. And when we were growing up, you'd save up for this one video game, and then you'd play it for like three months or whatever it may be, um, and that was that. Whereas now on video games, you've got libraries and libraries of content which will be you know reduced priced or free, or for example with Netflix, there is so much choice, and I am not a decisive person. Uh, I will just sit and scroll through Netflix uh, for about half an hour and then I'll go back to something I've already watched because I, I know I like it or whatever it may be. So I'm I'm really interested. And I, a lot of people I've spoken to feel the same. Like there's basically, we have too much choice and we're not, our brains aren't built for that, uh, to, to have that much choice. So I'm really intrigued if there's almost like an anti-digital revolution at some point where, I don't know, like I was saying, joking that Netflix could um, open up, you know, blockbuster-esque shops where you'd go in, you'd pick one film and you've got a code for it or something, and then you'd have to go home and put it into your TV, your computer. But I don't know, for something like that, 
or you know or not as drastic as that but a Sounds slowing like a down yeah i think a slowing down is is needed i, I think i'm semi-positive that there will be more and more of it as more as sadly as more and more people essentially burn out and realize that this go 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 lifestyle um isn't sustainable for them or you know for especially for younger generations coming up as well yeah no i'd agree i think you've got a good idea there <laughs> I'll, I'll pitch it to netflix <laughs> i'm in <laughs> Um, I wanted to go back and touch on your growing up, basically, and mm. your experience with mental health, or if there was any any experience of of discussions of mental health, or you know, so for example, growing up, did you did you recognise that maybe there was, a, you know, you mentioned social anxiety before. Did you have any idea that, that was a potential thing going on? No, um, not at all. And this is. A very interesting um, aspect to to all of this. I mean, all credit to you guys because you have, as far as I'm concerned, you have a rich vocabulary mm. around mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there's so much spoken about mental health now in the media. Um, you know, on television. You know, charity work. You know, you've got very prominent people heading up charities and, and coming out themselves and saying that, you know, they've had problems. Um, that language, you know, that knowledge, that awareness simply didn't exist when I was younger. You know, I'm trying to think when it actually changed for me or when I became aware that, listen, you know, things that I was experiencing in the past may have been down to personal mental health challenges or issues. And, you know, it might only have been relatively recently um, because it simply wasn't talked about. There was no vocabulary at all. You know, just, just take anxiety, for example. I only became aware of that, you know, personally, I suppose, about 10, 12 years ago, when I, when I myself was experiencing some, prob- experiencing some problems. You know, I went through a quite a traumatic uh, divorce, actually, at the time. Mm. And you know, ended up speaking to my doctor about a number of things. And uh, they said, well, yeah, you know, you have a sort of general anxiety disorder. And um, because I wasn't sleeping, you know, I had all the classic symptoms of sort of losing weight, ruminating around things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it it, it was it was a, a period of, you know, heightened anxiety that was brought about through emotional trauma. Yep. See, I'm using all the vocabulary now that I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, but I, I honestly didn't know what it was, and anxiety, I, until it hit me like an express train. But looking back, I now think, gosh, you know, we talk about children who have, boys in particular, who have Asperger's or learning difficulties or this and that. And, you know, sometimes I hear all these phrases and I get a bit jaundiced by by them myself. I'll share with you, you know, you, the eyebrows, you think, oh, crikey, not again. You know, they're talking about this and they're talking about this, right? Special needs at school. Well, we were streamed into either thick or non-thick. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, life was very different. We didn't We didn't have the vocabulary at all. And I'm so glad that we... We do now, and I'm still learning all the time myself, you know, about stuff. But but to answer your question, no, I think boys in particular, and this is another dimension to, I think, where we are now as men, 
were brought up to uh, be, bo- you know, be men, right? So toughen yep. up. Oh yeah. Don't cry. Um, don't be a sissy. Mm-hmm. Um, don't show emotion. All of that. And um, you know, I lived through those times, and I lived through. I grew up where we had PE teachers and games masters who who took the toughening up message quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I think a lot of them were ex-army, you know. So um, Right, yeah, pretty extreme. We had a thing called Murder Ball. Did you ever play that at school? <laughs> no. Well, Murder Ball is basically rugby with no rules. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and this was Wednesday afternoon games. Right. Now, the only thing we were told we, we couldn't do to each other was, was bite anyone. Oh, is that it? Or gouge. You couldn't gouge anyone's eyes. Right. What about below the waist? Can you swing a kick there? Oh, no, you weren't that? allowed to, to, to do right. that either. Okay. Sorry, there was probably a couple of things then. But, but I mean, you know, everything else was allowed. So, um, Murder ball. Yeah, and, you know, you would go home and your mum would say, how was games? Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, we had a, a good game of murder ball. Yeah. <laughs> But did you enjoy that kind of? Uh, I didn't enjoy murder ball. No, I, I did enjoy things like cross country running, and in, in the freezing cold winter, right in a vest and plimsolls. I don't know why, but fanatic <laughs> <laughs> about it. <laughs> so, would you say when you were growing up? Well, I can okay. Personally, for me, I recognise now that I'm somewhat of a sensitive person, and I and I I. I don't know if it's nature or nurture or both, but it's just the way I grew up. Obviously, my experience wasn't quite as extreme as that, but it was still very much the 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 you know men are men. You don't cry, uh, yeah. especially when you got to you know like the teenage ages or you know uh, kind of going into secondary school. Really, did you find that? I, I, I this might not this might be a simple no, but do you find that maybe being a somewhat of an anxious person, you were a bit more sensitive than others, but you had to completely hide that? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. I mean that that it's interesting. I've never heard someone describe it in that way. I don't think, but yes, yeah, yeah. Th- that was just something I've struggled, or I still I talk about in therapy a lot. Is the topic of masculinity fascinates me, um, and even though you know I'm fully aware that it's you know not all about looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever there's still a part of my brain that just wants to be the six foot four Adonis that has no feelings <laughs> um and you know fits the, the the stereotypical um man but I'm aware that you know slowly we're growing out of that and I feel like I mean I'm sure compared to children going to school now compared to say when you were in school especially was it in as you say Glasgow as well well, that's where I started primary school, but I actually went to um, quite a few schools within our state system and okay. we moved around as a family. So I guess going on from that, the you know we spoke about the generational differences before um, and briefly touched on it earlier. We didn't have a lesson on mental health or anything like that, but we briefly covered it and it was obviously a lot better than what it was in the past. And I, my hope is that each decade we go forward, it will be even better and you know this won't even really need to be a conversation in... 30 years time because everyone will be like oh well you know we're on it we're looking after ourselves um i always say that my my dream is my grandchildren's generation look back on the way we treated mental health and the the same confusion that we look back on uh you know that women couldn't vote have you have you seen a huge change in those you know say from your 15 year old to you now 
um, you know, is it polar opposite to what you what you saw before? Yeah, um, you know, almost yes. I mean, I don't know what they're teaching uh, in school. So you mentioned that mental health was 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 spoken about when you were at school. I, yeah, briefly. You know, my daughter is twenty five. I confess I don't know what sort of social and personal relationship teaching she had or what, what mental health discussions took place at school. Um, but certainly there was the, the, there was nothing at all, um, you know, was when I was at school. They tried to put it into, they tried to put something into RE, religious education, because they oh, didn't right. know where to put it. All right, you just sling it in there. <laughs> and then there was... There was, I think, twenty minutes on sex education. And that, that was it. So, um, hence, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that wasn't part of RE, though. No, I think I think it was. It might have been lumped in. Oh wow! So RE and social and personal relations at one stage, you know, it was called. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I mean, we we had no vocabulary at all, and and consequently, I think, you know, it, it has it has caused caused us more problems, perhaps. People of my generation not being able to process things or not being able to understand their own mental health challenges or not having strategies, not having ways to cope. So mm-hmm. I've learned that in my own particular case, and I think it's diff- different for everybody, that you know, diet and exercise are extremely important to me. And I and, and balance, again, I think you and I spoke about uh, the term balance. but. When, when those things, when I don't get enough headspace, you know, on the bicycle these days, or mm-hmm. which to me is like meditation, you know, miles, miles are meditation on the bike to me, um, or my diet goes awry, or you know, I mean, listen, I've been in corporate sales for a long time, so I've, I've drunk quite a lot of alcohol, yeah, um, and I've now reached a point of moderation i think for the first time in my life what i would regard as moderation which is actually nil by mouth during the week and you know an occasional medicinal something at the weekends um but you know i alcohol was actually used as a tool in selling when i you know when i started in the sort of 80s and 90s pretty much well i mean in the sense that um Again, the human interaction, you know, the, the success of selling was all about the personal relationship. So it, you had an expense account and it was part of the job. You know, you, you, you were expected to take people out to dinner. You were expected to people, take people down to the pub or the wine bar and show them a good time. <laughs> you know, and if they had a good time and everyone enjoyed themselves and you struck up a good uh, rapport and relationship, then they were more likely to buy from you, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. Personally, I I actually stopped drinking when I was nineteen. I didn't plan to stop. I planned to. I was going through quite a difficult time with my mental health, um, and I recognised that alcohol and the lifestyle choices I was making whilst drinking them uh, was was a big contributing factor to me feeling a bit naff. Good um, for you. So yeah, I stopped uh, when I was nineteen, and. It was the first time, obviously, I'd taken a step back from it. I was only young, but I'd, I'd been drinking, I don't know, since I was like 15, so not too long. And I was just, when you take a step back, I was just so blown away by how ingrained it is in our culture. Oh, massively, yeah. And 
and it, it, it sounds really like uppity and I don't mean for it to say that, but I don't think I would have noticed if I hadn't have stopped drinking um, yeah. or taken that step back because yeah, it's just, it's everything you do, like the way you make friends, especially at sort of that age as well. 19 is all based around alcohol. Um, a big draw when you graduate for a lot of people is going to, you know, corporations that, you know, do the three o'clock clock off on Friday and down the pub um, and all that kind of stuff. And, I, I I have seen a quite a big difference even in the you know seven years eight years I haven't been drinking and how there is especially maybe more among my generation I don't know you can obviously speak for speak for your own generation but there's been a step back I think from um, uh, that alcohol driven culture uh, a lot of younger people kind of are taking a step away from it and wanting to. Yeah rather you know be on their bike or you know gy gyms mm. have really exploded in the last 10 years yeah. uh, or just physical fitness is huge for seems to be younger generations like a real focus have you sort of seen anything similar on your end well first of all well done to you it's massively good news i think um yeah it's it's mixed at my end if i'm honest i think there's an awful lot of people still doing it there's an awful lot of people still doing it at the pace they were doing it um, when we were younger. And I think everybody goes on their own, their own journey with it, right? Um, but you're absolutely right. It's ingrained in our culture. And I, I you know, it goes beyond our shores. Like, you know, we're, there, there's something in our D, DNA about the northern beer drinking countries. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The, right? Like the Vikings. Uh, it's, yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. And, um, we we drink to commiserate we drink to celebrate you know it's 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 part of the everyday thing and i think yeah were, were there times when it was you know potentially a problem in my life i think it i think it was mm. and then i would cut back a bit and then i would and then i would go again you know yeah <laughs> but but i one thing i did recognize is that is that i definitely and i know you've spoken to a number of people on this on your podcast about this is that there's a massive contributory factor to increased levels of anxiety and the come down gets bigger, you know, as you age, or it did in my case. And, um, but it took me a long while to actually establish that link myself. Right. Bizarrely. <laughs> um, I mean, I was, I was still, you know, quite a fit guy. I was still, I always exercised and I was jogging and I ran a marathon in my mid thirties uh, and nice. Um, but more recently on my, you know, more recent health journey with hypertension, the bike has been central to, to everything. Um, and, but the more you do that, you see, the more you think about what you're putting inside your body, the more, the more you think about what you're eating. If you want to do a long ride on a Sunday and, you know, I'm, my longest ride is about 70 miles down to Surrey through the Surrey Hills you know, it's four or five hours. I'm setting myself some challenges quite soon. It's difficult now in, you know, where we are with the pandemic, but I want to do the North Coast 500 in, Nor in Northern Scotland, which is 500 miles around the coast. Wow. If I did that, I'd like to do Land's End to John O'Groats, you know, all, mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. And, and you just realize that you, you, you've got to concentrate on what you're fueling yourself with if you want to achieve all these things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I found personally, so it was around that time I stopped drinking. I looked at most areas of my lifestyle and 
it was by no means like an overnight. I'm still working on it now, years, 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 years later. But um, I, f- I found personally that because now maybe I'm a little more educated on it and I've, I've given my body potentially the right nutrients and the, you know, the right foods and no alcohol, et cetera. When I do have some, you know, like a Burger King or a, a yeah. McDonald's, I'm then feeling dreadful after. Like I can't even have a takeaway. Like even if it's a nice takeaway pizza, the salt intake is unbelievable yes. and it's strange it's almost like ignorance is bliss before <laughs> you can really taste it if you, if you mm. i i did the same i i've had probably two takeaways in the last gosh we're being very righteous at the moment but it's true uh, <laughs> yeah when, when 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 you're having more frequent takeaways and so on and salt by the way is very very bad for hypertension i i, I don't right. know why but there's something about salt in our diet that's not good for the blood pressure but i really wanted to get into the the whole hypertension thing yeah. because to be completely honest with you i had never even heard of it before right. um right. until i'd read the the a linkedin post that you put up so can you explain to everyone and, and myself um what exactly hypertension is uh and you know why do we get it or what the symptoms of it so so it's basically high blood pressure yeah and next to diabetes hypertension is probably the biggest uh, killer in terms of lifestyle oh, wow. um, illnesses that we have in the Western world. So, you know, you look to America, you just Google hypertension, the number of people and what's, what's happening over here as well. And, you know, in terms of underlying health conditions, you, you don't want to have hypertension or diabetes at this particular time in our history, mm. right? Um, so, so pure and simple, hypertension is high blood pressure. That puts a massive strain on the blood vessels, the major organ of which is your heart. And it's, I liken it to, you know, a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Um, if you slow cook something in a pressure cooker, the pressure builds up in there, and that's how something cooks, right? And um, the strain on the blood vessels is just, I suppose, all the um, fight or flight chemicals in the body making the body work hard. The, 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 I mean, you can get you can get palpitations. You know, everything you, you, everything's working overtime, but you're not releasing all that pressure through exercise or through right. um, living more authentically or naturally. You, you're not putting the right stuff in. You're laying down um, fats in the blood vessels. They're worried about. Um, uh, basically thinning of the arteries, calcifying the arteries. The GP will give us anti-calcium or calcium block- blocker medication if you've got hypertension, but that doesn't solve the problem. And I knew that wouldn't solve the problem. I would mm. only solve the problem by trying to bring my b- blood pressure down. So that means mon- monitoring it. That means losing weight. So one of the major contributory factors is weight. So I lost about... Um, you know, almost two and a half stone in 18 months. I was cruising past 15 stone. I'm below 13 stone now. Um, And they told me that that was one of the biggest factors. So, so, you know, get on it, lose weight, you know, change your diet, exercise. And and losing weight is nothing more than um, reducing your calorie intake or eating better and increasing your physical activity. And it's, it's true, you know, um, eat less, exercise more, and then 
the following month change them around right mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and drinking more water, I wasn't hydrating enough, and I started to add no salt to my diet at all. So I, everything was cooked from scratch. You know, I eat much more vegetables and fruits and all of those things. I've taken red meat out of my diet. It's a, it's an occasional treat. Yep. Uh, and actually, this is how we lived as human beings. And you know, when we were, uh, you know, five six thousand years ago, you know, it was mm. feast and famine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I occasionally fast uh, until evenings. Um, I did the five and two diet, i.e. there were two days in the week when I fasted or only had about five or 600 calories because it's, it's believed that that uh, in the fasting period helps you reduce the visceral fats around your internal organs. It's believed that it reduces blood pressure and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I started to read a lot more about it. I started to apply it to my daily daily ritual and I joined a 20 pound a month gym and started to lift light weights um, and and get down there sort of two or three times a week Um, so baby steps and and in the beginning that's that's the only steps I could take because I was (laughs) you know I was knackered do you know I couldn't I couldn't do I know I try and do press-ups and I couldn't do one press-up really I mean you know old-fashioned style get down and, and do a plank and then you know, try and do press-ups. And that was a real shock to me, you know. Right. So, yeah, you know, takeaway meals, high salt content. So, I don't know, if some staggering statistic, like a third of the people or more uh, in the UK are pre-diabetic, i.e. the blood sugars are all wrong. Mm. And we're all, you know, uh, either hypertension stage one or two, i.e., there's something we could do better that would that would uh, bring our blood pressure down to where you know it's great news when the doctor calls you normal. <laughs> In my case, that's what happened. He said, "Congratulations, you're normal," and I said, "Oh God, that feels fantastic." <laughs> I, I'm going to go and celebrate, you know, with a, a peppermint tea or something. Yeah, yeah, not with the juicy steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's all it is. So, but the worrying thing is, for, for what is quite a serious health condition, there are no symptoms. I mean, literally, there are no serious symptoms other than you feel a bit fatigued, you feel a bit tired, you're not sleeping well, right. and your, your energy is a bit lower. Um, and sometimes people don't know they're suffering from hypertension until they have a heart attack or mm-hmm. until they have a stroke, uh, because that's when the blood vessels are not able to cope with the pressure. Mm-hmm. inside um, what, what's going on inside you know to diagnose hypertension is it through what you you experience with the with the you know constant blood pressure checks yeah just take your blood pressure so you, you can buy uh the same machine as your gp uses at boots the chemist over mm-hmm. the counter as they say in america and uh, it's 39 pounds or 40 quid and you just strap the thing to your arm and you press the button and it will take your blood pressure Right. And do you ever have to check that again now or is it sort of I like... do occasionally. Um, uh, yeah, every now and again, I'll go, oh, that's, that's okay, you know. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm sort of around 120 or between 120 and 130 and, um, you know, below 80, I'm looking for a number in the 70s on the bottom, bottom range. Your blood pressure, by the way, if it gets below 90, 60, top number, bottom number, that's when it's too low. <laughs> okay. Right. 
so uh, some people suffer from that as well, and there could be other issues going on there, um, mm-hmm. and that can also be quite dangerous. Uh, right. So, so we do have to find a position of balance, um, and we have to find out what works for us because everybody will be different. But the only way to check it is to take your own blood pressure or have your doctor do it for you. When you were sort of learning about it, was there, you know, is there a typical age range hypertension typically, you know, enters someone's life or can it literally be, you know, any old age? I think it's more prominent mm. in, in the older age brackets um, because, you know, we te- our metabolism slows down. We tend, to, we tend to be a bit heavier. You know, we might be a bit more stressed. I don't know. But, but no, it can happen at any age. And uh, it's particularly, I think, uh, you know, pregnant women, for example, because, because of, you know, what's going on there can, can, can have mm. a real spike in, in blood pressure and, and, uh, and experience, you know, hypertension. I suppose if you are, um, you know, living with stress from whatever whatever angle in your life, then your, your blood pressure will, will spike. The other thing I did was, was take caffeine out of, out of my diet as well, because, I mean, I, I used to consume an awful lot of coffee, I can tell you. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it was like a double espresso homemade before I left the house, running for the bus. Um, you know, I might catch one at a station hub on the way to the office, grab a coffee, I mean, uh, from a, a, a Pret or a Costa coffee. I used to love the very large, uh, bucket-sized um, uh, americano, you know, with loads of sugar okay. in it. You know, um, yeah. and then you get to the office in the first meeting. Someone would say, "Well, should we should we have a coffee then? Yeah, let's go for a coffee." And then you know, and then mid-morning, uh, fancy a coffee? Yeah, let's go for a coffee. And then you know, and then I would have a huge sandwich lunch, eat a lot of bread and pastry, and then I would finish it with a cappuccino. And then you know, and I mean, it was just. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's crazy. Chris will tell you he was there, right? Was... What, what time would you stop drinking caffeine? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes just before I went to bed, probably. God, and did, <laughs> did it? I'm, I'm very intrigued with people who drink coffee because, like, I growing up, I, I didn't like hot drinks. So, for example, my sister, she grew up and she drank tea. I'm assuming decaf tea at a very young age, but she eventually graduated onto full caffeinated tea. Whereas I had no interest in hot drinks. I didn't touch them. So if I ever have even a cup of tea, which I will very rarely have, it sends me jittering. Like I get full of energy. I can feel my mind whirring. So for you, for example, for you, when you were consuming that much caffeine, did it have any effect on you? Or was it more of the taste and the routine? Uh, I don't think it did. You know, I don't think it, I don't, you know, I, I, as I recall, I might have had the odd heart palpitations. <laughs> uh, but no, I just like the taste of it, right? And I still love coffee and the smell of coffee. I think it's absolutely mm. wonderful, you know, if you walk past a, a coffee shop. So now I do the same, but not as much. But I have decaf. So, I mean, I, I love the smell and the taste of coffee. So I have decaf, you know, more often than not herbal tea. Um, but I do like normal tea as well. And obviously, there's caffeine content in that. You know, I've done it all. <laughs> as far as caffeine goes, I've done it. I've done. I've mainlined caf- caffeine. I think. Yeah, one yeah. step away from just snorting it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to quickly touch on your cycling because we spoke about it before, and I mm. like the idea of it figuratively and and metaphorically helping you balance um, life. And you also you you spoke briefly about it, the link with dementia and cycling. 
and I just wondered if you could sort of talk about that a bit more. Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm no expert, but I've just read and continue to read about all the benefits of cycling. And when I thought about, you know, the things that I wanted to do more of in my life, and this is something I think that happens to all of us, if we're fortunate enough to live to a certain age, in my case, you know, mid fifties, and it's not the hours in the office we remember. It's, it's the wonderful period of cycling in my case, when I got a brand new racing bike at the age of 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, the freedom. Yeah, and and this was a beautiful steel-framed Halfords Olympic, it was called, racing bike um, that mum and dad got me for my 13th birthday. And I started to just explore the, the surrounding countryside. And we were living in Suffolk in those days, so you know, we, I'd said we'd moved around. So I started to have these flashbacks, you know, memories of, gosh, just how wonderful that was, how peaceful, the beautiful spring and summer evenings or long days on a weekend and and thought, you know what, that's what I want. I want more of that. And, and I set about trying to find it again. And so I invested in a, a decent bike. Uh, specialized tricross and and you know the engineering in our bicycles is absolutely unbelievable now um i'm not a total gadget freak at all i'm not a great mechanic but i do love the idea of you know the modern machinery that goes into a bicycle and um so yeah i started slowly and i found that i couldn't go 10 sort of 10 miles i don't live too far away from richmond park in west london Nice. And I uh, took myself down there and I now, uh, on a long ride, well, I got up to doing about 100 miles a week. So, you know, what's that, 400 plus a month. And I signed up to Strava to understand what all the fuss was about. Yeah. Um, and I'm not an extensive Strava user, but it will record your ride and it'll tell you where you've been and how many miles you've done. Uh, but that's that motivates you to do more. So yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, physically, it's a perfect it's a perfect machine for our physical fitness. Obviously, it doesn't do much for the upper body strength, but your heart, your lungs, your your strength in your the strength in my legs returned. I found I could run again, and I hadn't done any running for ages. I went running out just before just before you and I jumped onto this. So yeah, whether you do it solo or whether you do it socially with friends, which is difficult now. I think it's it's a wonderful thing to do, but obviously uh, one has to be careful, especially if you're in traffic. And so I tend to try and go out early in the morning as well when I can, and that in itself is a blissful experience, you know. And if you can if you can bring yourself to do it in the in the winter, i.e., you know, when it's not freezing but it's cold, there's something about getting out, you know, all year round and experiencing the weather. I mean, the wind and the weather and the you know. I won't go out if it's absolutely pouring with rain. I don't mind if it starts to rain when I'm out. So it's that connection with the outdoors. It's the connection with nature. It's the it's the just the release of you know you can't you can't think about. Usually, what happens is I turn negative thoughts into positive thoughts. That actually happens. You know, I'll think about oh somebody said something to me that really got under my skin, and then I'll think. Yeah, but that's because they had a lot of shit going on with them. You know, it was nothing to do with me. And, uh, you know, you gain a perspective whilst you're on the move. 
and pedaling like Billio and trying to get up a hill that you couldn't get up, up last time, you know? So there's a reason that men of my age go out and, you know, get a lot of stick for being called mammals. The reason they do it is they're doing it for themselves. They're doing it to improve their health, their physical health, their mental health. You know, I'm joking aside now, but there does seem to be an awful lot of men of my age doing it, doesn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't want to say anything, but there is the, it's the classic thing, you know, so... Yeah, men, older gentlemen, well, not even older gentlemen, but men are reaching a point in their life when they're, they, every weekend they're out on their bike, they spandex up and they're ready. Yeah, well, I, th- I think, you know, I, again, I'm pretty normal in the sense that maybe a lot of those guys have had a similar experience to me. You know, they've, they've, they, you reach a point where you go, do you know what? Probably my physical health and my mental well-being is more important to me now than it's ever been. So yeah. I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to try and improve that. Because that's going to, you know, your runway to life is 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 uh, less than it was when you were thirteen years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you want, you know, you want you want to, you still want to be active when you're sixty, seventy, whatever. You know, you want to be. And there are lots of older guys than me do it. You know, and I sometimes they pass me, and and I think, oh, bloody hell, there he goes again. You know, he's about fifteen years older than me. You know, that can't be right. Um, but oh, I can't recommend it enough. Honestly, it's uh, it's it's changed my it's changed my life this last sort of eighteen months, two years. Yeah, I went on the radio and spoke about it to um, Robert Elms on BBC Radio London. Oh no way! I just phoned him up because he was having a he's a keen cyclist, and uh, I just phoned up. He had a phone in, and we ended up speaking for about twenty minutes. Oh nice! Um, so that was interesting as well. Um, but yeah, the final thing about that is you mentioned about dementia and, and it's meant to help with with balance, right? Which, you know, the, the, the whatever it is, the deep function within the brain that, that controls balance is one of the things that uh, is affected by dementia. And if you keep that healthy, if you keep that active, then it's meant to ward off um, certain kinds of dementia, so I believe. Right. Yeah. But, um, as again, I say, I'm no expert. I'm no doctor. It's just things that I read about, read about it. You know. When you mentioned the, when you were 13 years old and getting the bike, I think for anyone who was fortunate enough to be given a bike as as a teenager or a child, uh, I've forgotten what that feeling was. And then last uh, in the first lockdown, or you know, when things were kind of we were coming out of it in the summer of 2020, uh, I went back to my parents' place and picked up. Uh, an old bike and took it out and i was just it, i yeah i was trans i just felt like a childlike glee when i, I cycling like i've got a car smart. i can go yeah, yeah i can go anywhere i want but for some reason when i'm on my bike i'm just like oh my goodness imagine all the places i can go and i and i did yeah i think it probably is linked to that time when you were a child and it's your first piece of freedom um, yeah it makes you smile from your family it, it makes you smile and, and uh during lockdown i was cycling into central london oh geez um when it was quiet, when there was nobody around, mm. uh, just to experience parts of London that I'd often been to when it was jam-packed, right? I mean, yeah. I've been cycling down the King's Road and going into central London thinking, wow, there is nobody on the road. That and must have been be- very be- eerie. Beautiful spring morning and, um, yeah. uh, you know, a- absolutely fantastic. So obviously we're meant to stay local at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's what I try and do. But being in West London, I try and I sort of say to myself, well, you know, if I stay within 
the neighbouring yeah. boroughs or whatever, then it's just still within London. You'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not breaking the law like Boris Johnson did. You know, I'm not getting as far as East London. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that I wanted to quickly talk about was uh, you've you've contributed to a book. Yeah, uh, and you've written uh, in in that regard, and I wondered if you you just wanted to have a quick talk about that, and then you know tell people if they want fancied having a read where they could find it. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So, um, I some years ago I got into um, exploring about writing. You know, writing myself, not not for um, any reasons of wanting to publish a book or get involved in. Uh, any commercial form, but just for myself, again, at the time when I was struggling, you know, with, I mentioned a, a previous relationship, I found that it was very cathartic. Is that the right word? I helped yeah. me, it helped me sort of process my thoughts. And I've always liked something about structuring words on a page. <laughs> you know, I, I went into computer studies as a sort of a degree course, but um, the, I think the only A plus that I got was in English language when I did a piece of creative writing. And again, so I've been returning to a lot of things that I've been thinking about, you know, my childhood experience and um, writing was one of them. And I still dabble. I still do it occasionally. So I contributed to a couple of books um, previously, uh, one of which was actually about, about, about um, women's health. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so we're really, really going off tangent here, but um, uh, yeah. So, so one of the challenges that that I faced in my in my first marriage was that you know w- women go through something called the menopause. I don't know if you ever heard of the menopause. I, I, I have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're laughing, but I mean, obviously, as a young man, you don't naturally think about these things. And, no, no. And yeah. What was formerly a taboo subject um, is talked about an awful lot more in the media. So I stumbled across this this woman that was talking about this, and I felt that men needed to be part of the conversation. So I, I wrote a small piece for her. It got into her book, um, which which was a, a, a another title on the subject. And so through a series of networking, I was um, introduced to a publisher, um, and she's a lady called Jo Baldwin Trot, and uh, she is a publisher of proper books, they're called, and um, was asked to contribute, would I like to contribute to a book that she was putting together, which is a compilation of real-life stories of men in particular who've been through particular struggles uh, related to masculinity, related to mental health, relationship problems, you name it, it's, it's all in there. And the book is called Being Fine, um, because and it's called being fine, the other F word, because as men, when asked, how are we doing? You know, we typically say we're, we're fine. I'm, I'm fine. Yep. Um, but, but we say that when we're actually not fine as well. We say that when we're struggling. And uh, it's a serious message because even the people who are struggling really, really badly and end up, you know, harming themselves in this some form of tragedy will have told probably a recent relative or a friend um, that they're fine Yeah. Uh, when they're not. So um, there's a serious message to the book, which is that, you know, it's if we hear the word fine, possibly it's a danger signal if we're worried about somebody and perhaps we should ask them again and we should ask a, the same or a similar question in a different context. So yeah, the book is called Being Fine. If 
if you want to, if people want to read it, they can go on Amazon and, and just search for being fine, uh, proper books. And uh, I've got a chapter in there about about my my own particular struggle with uh, the anxiety disorder that I was we spoke about uh, mm. we spoke about earlier. Um, so yeah, uh, that's Great. that's the book. And if anyone wanted to, um, you know, follow your your journey or your posts or your thoughts and feelings, would uh, would you be okay with uh, you know giving out your LinkedIn name and uh, for people to follow? Yes, of course. Um, so it's it's the, the the LinkedIn handle is is Mike Sheridan Data, I believe, or you could just okay. find me Mike Sheridan. Great, I'll I'll add it to. You can link, I think, in the the show notes. So I'll add that if anyone wants to join. And um, so the very last thing that I always like to ask each guest is if they can tell me three things that they do to look after their own well-being, you know, both physical, mental, or in, in all arenas, um, so that potentially someone listening might get some inspiration from uh, from what you do to look after yourself. Three things. Um, mm. Cycling. Yep. <laughs> We've covered that. Eating well, and I would say eat, eating cleaner and sleep. I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with those three. Yeah. Sometimes the very basics can seem too basic. Like, you know, if you're really struggling, someone says, oh, you just need to, you know, make sure you're eating cleanly and you're sleeping well and you're, you know, exercising. People be like, no, that's nonsense. Like, this is a far too big a problem to deal with that. But, you know, I think if you have those pillars down, you're in a good place to, to explore other areas as well. Absolutely. I mean, there's other things, but those were the first three that came to mind. I think <laughs> yeah, probably the most important. Yeah. Yeah. Gut response. Yeah. Uh, right. So thank you very much, Mike, for joining me. Been a I've pleasure. loved, listen, I've loved our chat and I particularly enjoyed, you know, you wanted to keep it uh, quite light and humorous and, and I don't know that we managed to achieve that, but I did my best. <laughs> no, no, it was a good, it was a good one. Don't worry. It was a good one. We could have spoken for a lot longer, but um, yeah. maybe, maybe we'd go for a round two at some point, but thank you for, uh, for being a part of it. Thank you.